great job, didn't they? Good job. First time on the drums? First time playing drums? You did awesome. Good job. You look like a drummer. Tattoos. You've got the whole cool thing happening. You guys can sit down. Well, I did my first blonde thing just then. I was looking for my microphone. I had it in my hand. That's a good start. I have been up since five o'clock. So, um, not praying on my knees or anything. I was at Liam's grand final match, my 12-year-old boy. But they didn't win. I was like praying that I had to leave third quarter. And I was praying the whole way here, Jesus, let the ball be like butter in the other team's hand. And just, you know, but maybe there was a mum on the other team praying the same. I don't know. <laughs> but he did. He got player of the match. So that's really good. He had to do a speech. Apparently got emotional. A bit like his father, I guess. So nice to be here. We were actually here, oh gosh, probably maybe 18 months ago, two years ago, Cameron and I were here. Who's, who's new since then from a couple of years ago when we were here? Oh, fantastic. Excellent. Well, it's nice to meet you. Nice to see you. Um, I just wanted to say thank you so much to, to Pastor Sam and Carolina. They are dear friends of ours. Um, I love them dearly. And I actually, Cameron and I incredibly respect you guys, incredibly respect your leadership. And I'm um, really glad that the, I know you've moved far, but we're still maintained our friendship, which is lovely. Although Carolina had to get me to come and speak for us to go out to lunch. So that was a bonus. Okay, who's ready to hear from the Word of God today? Are you awake? Yeah. Yes, of course you are. Of course you are. You know, um, this week my youngest boy, so I've got three children. I've got two in high school and I've got one still in primary school. And I'm actually a teacher as well. And I teach part-time at a state school down our way, down at Rochdale. And my littlest boy had a student-led conference. Do you know what a student-led conference is? It's one of those things you have to go to where instead of meeting with the, pe the teacher, you meet with the, your child. Okay, and so your child leads you through the interview. So, of course, you get a glowing report of how well that they're doing. But what they did, they invited all the parents. And when I walked into the classroom, Cameron and I went, and on their desk they had a project that they'd been doing. And, you know... What they had done, it was like a project where they kind of had to have a piece of cardboard that went like that and they sat it up on their desk and then each part of the cardboard, do you kind of get what I mean? So that was all sitting on their desk and then they had their portfolio down on, on, the, on their desk. And um, Ashton had done his on spider monkeys, so I know all about spider monkeys. Anyway, and I looked around the room and nearly everybody had a parent there, but about three or four children didn't have a parent at the interview and I watched them and one of them didn't seem to care. He was just dancing around and just having a good old time. And a couple of the others were showing each other their work. But I was looking at this one little girl kind of across the way at the front of the room and my heart really went out to her. She's this little girl, she's got this sh really short curly hair. And I did a terrible thing when I was on duty last Friday with her hat on, I thought she was a boy. And so I actually said to this, she was with some boys, and I actually said, boys, you're not allowed in this area, you need to go back to the Oval. And one of the boys goes, she's not a boy, Mrs. Bennett, she's a girl. And I thought he was being cheeky to me, so I go, don't be rude, move. And then I felt awful. I was like, well, and there she is now, sitting there by herself with no mum or dad. And she had a project set up around her, and I kind of couldn't focus, because I'm there for Ashton, but I couldn't focus on Ashton, because I could see her, and I had tears in my eyes. I was like, she's by herself. So I'm like, Ashton, she kept turning and looking at the door. I go, buddy, I've just got to go over and see her for a minute. Dad's here. Dad will watch. You know, Ashton, no, mum, you've got to stay and look at my stuff. And I just explained. I go, she's by herself. Just can you share mummy just for a minute? He's like, okay. So I went over to her and I just bobbed down. And, and I know her name. I won't say her name. But I said, sweetie, 
you know, have you got mum or dad coming? And she's like, yeah, yeah, mum and dad are coming after work. But I knew, I just knew that she was saving face, you know, and, and telling me a lie, I guess. And so I bobbed down and I said, well, you know, while mum and dad are coming, do you want to show me your work? And she had done spider monkeys as well. So we had a good chat and we went through her portfolio. And, you know, I was looking at her maths marks and she had failed nearly every maths test. I was like, oh, and she's like, oh, I'm not very good at maths. I'm like, don't worry, neither am I. I suck at maths. <laughs> I said, oh, it's terrible. But you know what? I, I got good at it when I was in high school. And then she started telling me about she's got a pet snake at home and how mum and dad are actually, she goes, my snake's at home. Well, my snake's at my dad's home. And then she started telling me how her mum and dad are separated. And then her story of mum and dad are coming to visit turned to, I think dad said he's coming. Dad's coming. He's going to come right after work. But by now it was 10 to 3 and it was the end of the interview. And I just felt the big tears in my eyes. I was holding them back because I thought, you poor little darling, you know that no one's coming for you and I know that no one's coming. So I just chatted to her a little bit more and just really encouraged her. And then I said, oh, I better get back to Ashton now. Is that okay? And I walked back to Ashton. And then about an hour later, I got an email from Ashton's teacher just saying, thank you, thank you, thank you for going and sitting with her. But you know... When you've been through something yourself, you know what it's like. And you, you know, when you've, when you've been broken, when you've had something go on in your life. See, my mum and dad were divorced. My mum and dad, I came from a broken home, but I was blessed enough that my mum would always come, but my dad was interstate. And I just, I knew how she felt. And you know, the Bible says in Psalm, and we've got the scripture here in Psalm 68 verse 6, that God places lonely people in families, full stop. He leads prisoners out of prisons and into productive lives. And what I want to talk to us about today is the very end of that scripture about leading a productive life. God brings us out of prison that we can go forward and help other people out of prison. God heals our broken heart so that we can go forward and help heal someone else's broken heart. There is no full stop after the prison. God places the lonely in families. He leads prisons out of prisoners, full stop. And that's sometimes how we live and we forget that there is no full stop, but there is a continuation. Where does he lead us to? Into a productive life. And I want us to be challenged this morning that every single moment of every single day, are we walking out of our house? Are we in our own house with eyes wide open going, God, what can I do? You've set me free. How can you use me to help someone else? How can I be the salt? And, you know, you might think, ah, oh, you know, this is a pretty ordinary kind of a message, you know, just about leading a productive life. I think if we actually truly lived this way, every moment of every day, everywhere we went, I think we would turn the world around. I think one of the most incredible qualities that anyone can possess is kindness. I am huge on kindness. I try and teach that to my kids more than anything is being kind to other people because how else will people see the love of God except through us, except through our kindness, except through us. But we tend to get caught up in ourselves. We can tend to get caught up in God, I need a miracle. God, I need provision. God, I need this. God, I need that. But the way that God wants us to live is not to stop at the full stop, but to live outside of ourselves. You know, if we look at what the word productive means, it means having an abundance more than enough and left over. 
We tend to think that a, a productive life means that we've got enough, that we've got plenty. But the reason for that plenty is so that we've got left over so that we can give to somebody else. So when I was sitting in that room on Thursday, God has done so much for me. He's given me so much love. He's taken me out of the prison. He's healed my heart. He's helped me through insecurity, rejection, that when I saw that little girl, I knew that I could live outside of myself. And in the abundance that God had given me, I brought it over and I gave it to her. That's how we're meant to be living. But you know what we tend to do? We tend to get caught up in our Christian bubble. And I know when I lived in Adelaide, Cameron and I were in the most awesome bubble. We were in one of the largest churches. My kids went to a Christian school. Everything we did was we, we were in church about, I don't know, 10 times a week. We were living this awesome life. But I remember when I came to Queensland, I said, God, I cannot stand to live that way. God, put me in the middle of everything. Put me in the middle of the mess. Put me in the middle of the world. Put me in the middle of the brokenness so that I can live that productive life, so I can shine the light of Christ. And I want to motivate us this morning. How many times a day would you go into a place where people need your leftover? How many times, and that is actually, and I'm not saying that everyone should do this, but this is one of the reasons that we've put our kids in a state school. And I actually, two years ago, worked a couple of days a week in a Christian school and a couple of days a week in, a, um, in the state school. I'm telling you, I got paid almost double in a Christian school. People are like, why didn't you stay there? Like, you know why? Because I felt God called me to the state school because that's where the need, well, there's need everywhere. And so even the football club, where we've just come from. I love, I love that we're there Sunday morning. We still go to church. There's lots of church service options for us. But being in the middle of a whole heap, I mean, we've got like lesbian parents in our team. We've got over half of them that are divorced. And there are Cameron and I smack bang in the middle of them with our leftover, going, God, use our leftover. But we have to put ourselves into positions for God to use our leftover. So this whole message this morning is all about not the full stop, but living outside of the full stop. What are we actually giving? What is our leftover? And I want to... um share a story of, uh, from the scripture and just quickly look at her life and a few keys about how we can live that productive life. So um, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 9, verse 36 to 41. This is the Amplified Bible. One of my favorite women in the Bible is a woman called Dorcas. Very cool name. <laughs> so here we go. And it, it will be out there if you want to read along. Now, there was at Joppa a disciple, a woman named Tabitha, which in Greek means Dorcas. I would have taken Tabitha. She was abounding in good deeds and acts of charity. About that time, she fell sick and died, and when they had cleansed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, begging him, do come to us without delay. So Peter immediately rose and accompanied them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood around him crying and displaying undershirts or tunics and other garments, such as Dorcas was accustomed to make while she was with them. But Peter put them all out of the room and knelt down and prayed. And then turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, get up. And she opened her eyes. And when she, and when, oh, I've written something wrong there. Peter, she raised herself and sat upright. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up, and then calling in God's people and the widows, he presented her to them alive. And this became known throughout all Joppa, and many came to believe on the Lord. 
this woman was a widow and all she did was she made undergarments or undershirts for the widows. So it was number one. This is my first point about leading a productive life and, and it's this. Number one is the pain becomes the purpose. The pain becomes the purpose. This woman reached out to widows. Scholars um, in their studies of Dorcas say that they think that Dorcas herself was a widow. Now, she was a widow of many means because she obviously had money to be able to buy the material to be able to make the undergarments for the other widows. But she herself was a widow. The source of her pain became the resource for her ministry. So think of your life. What is the source of particular pain in your life? Because that right there is most probably going to become the resource for how you can minister to others. So when I'm sitting in that classroom and I see that little girl and there was actually a couple of others who I knew had broken parents, that pain that I went through as a child now became the resource. Cameron didn't even notice. He actually said to me, oh, if my mum and dad didn't rock up, I wouldn't have cared. Because he hasn't been through what I've been through. But the source of my pain became the resource of me ministering to other people. The source of your pain will become the resource of how you can minister. In my class at school, I've got three little girls just this year whose parents have split up. They're only eight. They're in year three. Now, I've already got a number of parents who who are already not living together. But there are some terrible situations in my classroom right now. And do you know what? When I go into that classroom, I'm only part-time. But when I go in there, I'm not going in there thinking I'm teaching them their ABCs and their reading, although I do. I actually really go in there thinking, Holy Spirit, open my eyes today to give the leftover that I've got to be able to give it to them. And, you know, I've had a couple of the little girls come to me and say, you know, Mrs. Bennett, um, one of them, actually, she was the one she told me, my dad left last night. You know, and I'm able to say to them, you know what, darling, my dad did the same when I was about three years of age. And you know what? It's going to be okay. I know just how you feel. See, my pain has become the resource. What is it that you've got in your hand? What is it that you've been through that can become the resource? for ministering to other people. You know, Mother Teresa said this, one must really have suffered oneself to help others. One must really have suffered oneself to help others. And I see that with my own kids. You know, my own kids really have never suffered a day in their life. They've got a great life. And every now and then I say to Cameron, maybe they should go through something. Have a little bit more compassion. A little bit, you know, they're just so, they're spoilt. And, and we've, got a, we've got a difficult job as parents um, who are together and who have got, we give our children everything to try and teach them this, this, whole th- this whole concept, this way of living about, you know, being someone that helps others. You know, in my daughter's high school class, her teacher last year was actually a Muslim lady. And I actually prayed when my, when my daughter went to high school, I'm like, God, give her the right teachers. She's in a school where she has the same three teachers for all of her subjects. And I prayed and said, God, give her the right teachers. She comes home. She goes, Mom, one's a Jehovah's Witness. The other one's a Muslim. I'm like, God, what are you doing? I put her in that school and I prayed. And now, you know, this year I had an issue just last week. We had an issue um, with another teacher who, I'm not sure why, she was a new teacher and she kind of marked Georgia from up here to right down here. And I went in to see what was going on, you know, as we do as mums, <laughs> fight for our kids. And in walked this Muslim teacher from last year, and she adores Georgia. 
And she actually came and sat with me in that interview. And when I got home, Cameron's like, how'd it go? I went, it went awesome. I go, Mr. Venture's like was my ally. And she, she sat with me and spoke to the other teachers like, you know, this isn't like Georgia and da 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 But I just thought how, how amazing that, you know, here we are pastors, Christians, and my greatest ally last week was this Muslim teacher. You know, like how amazing is God? Because I prayed before I went in, God, please help me. Well, God sent in the Muslim teacher. I'm like, okay. But do you know what I love about that? I love that God's love knows no boundaries. That, you know, I, I'm like, God, I want, and I've got a couple of Muslim boys in my class, and one of them in particular, his mum loves me, and I love her. And you're like, how does that work? I don't know, but I know that God loves everybody, and I know that I'm going to give my leftover to her just like I would give it to anybody else. And she loves coming in, and she lifts up her, whatever you call it, what do you call it? And she shows me her shoes. She goes, look at my new shoes I bought. My, well, you can't even see them underneath your kind of wrap or whatever. But I love that. I love people of the world should, should feel so comfortable around us. Even if we don't, you know, what, what is that saying? Um, preach, but if all else fails, use words. Like, in other words, you know, I love that. I'm not someone, I'm like, I could never go out street preaching. Could any, is anyone here like that love to go out in the streets and preach? A few of you? You go for it. I would, I would be so embarrassed. I would just be, I would not know what to say. I'd be terrible at it. So I love that quote about preach and if, if possible, use words. I'll, I'll do it with my life. I, I take my hat off to people that can do that. You know, um, I don't know what it's like, you know, to have someone close to me die, but maybe you do. I don't know what it's like, you know, to have depression or to have an addiction, but maybe you do. And sometimes we try and hide the source of our pain rather than saying, you know what, God, I'm going to use this to allow it to become a resource. Number two is this, don't wait for permission to be productive. Don't wait for permission to be productive. I really believe there are people here that have got so much more in them and so much more to give and so many gifts, but you're waiting for someone to recognize it. You're waiting for someone to say, hey, or you're waiting for someone to prophesy over you. Dorcas didn't wait for permission. You know, the Bible says that she was a disciple. She was one of the few women called a disciple. This implies that she actively spread the gospel. However, she never had a label, a title, or a position. She wasn't one of the 12. She wasn't a deaconess like Phoebe. She was not a minister's wife like Priscilla. She was not a judge like Deborah. She was just a woman. And I love that because we can relate to that. I'm just a man. I'm just a woman. I'm just a mom. I'm just a whatever. We don't need a label or a title or a position to go and have permission, to go and be productive in the world. You know, when I was young, I used to always love writing. And when, if I, when I was about eight, you know, I used to say, I want to become a famous author one day. That's what I want to do with my life. And as I got older, I always had it burning in me to write. But no one kind of ever came up to me. I was waiting for someone maybe to come and say, Renee, thus saith the Lord, you've got a gift of writing. There are books in you, you know, blah, 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 blah. I never got that. And it got to the point where when I first came to Queensland, I was really bored because no one kind of, everyone thought Cameron preached and Cameron was in ministry and I kind of flew under the radar, which I kind of didn't mind for a while. But I got a little bit bored and so I thought, I know what I'll do, I'm going to write. And so I did and, um, and I blogged for a couple of uh, Single Mum Australia and I've got a couple of books out. But my point is, I, I, didn't, I didn't have to wait for permission. If we wait for permission, we might miss the boat. And if we wait, wait for permission, we actually might miss what it is that God has called us to do. So if there's something in you, 
Maybe there's some of you here, you need to dust off an instrument. You need to get out your pen and start writing. You need to create a writing corner in your home and start writing that thing that's been burning on your heart. Maybe there are people here that you feel that you've wanted to open a business or there's something particular burning in your heart. Don't wait for permission for someone to recognize that gift in you. Go forward and just do it. Dorcas just did it. She made clothes for the, um, for the widows. And my third point is this. Don't expect recognition. This is the tough one. Don't expect recognition. You know, Dorcas made undergarments. Notice the word under. A tunic. These were inner garments. They were inner garments of clothing worn next to the skin and they were very laborious to make. Now, she did make some outer garments as well, but I love that she made inner garments. Do you know why? What she did for Jesus was never on display for people to see. See, the, those women, when Dorcas got sick and died, the women actually had to come and show Peter their undergarments. He's probably like, ooh, <laughs> wow, keep it there, sister. But they're like, look what Dorcas made us. She's done this and she's done that. But what she did was never on display. And I'm very, very passionate about this generation. And Cameron and I are getting older and older. Well, we're not giving up Youth Alive just yet. Because I've got a message for the young people. It's not about the five minutes of glory. It's not about the five minutes of fame on YouTube. It's not about the how many selfies of myself can I post on Instagram. It's not about the how important can I be because it just makes me feel better if I'm important and recognized. Dorcas didn't do it for the recognition. She did it for the need. And you know, this generation are very motivated by doing things to be seen. And this is something I'm very passionately teaching my daughter at the moment with Instagram. We've got a rule in our house. One selfie per 10 photos. I know that sounds really strict, right? And I'm like, yes. And if you're in a photo with another person, that still counts as a selfie because you're still in it. Because, you know, we started to get those sneaking through. It's not a selfie, mum. I'm going, ah, you're in it. It's still a selfie. Or, you know, you love the birthday pics. Happy birthday, Carolina, you're wonderful. But there's a picture of her, Carolina, and me both. You know people do that? They put a birthday picture, but they make sure they're in it too. It's like, what is that? But you know, I'm really passionate that what we do is not for recognition. You know, I know that Cameron and I run Youth Alive, and, and that might seem glorious to a lot of people, but you know what? The most of what I do is with my sneakers on and my fancy contract suit when I'm at school, getting down, getting my hands dirty, and getting down with the, with the kids at school. You know, sitting there with kids like that little girl that, that didn't have anyone to sit with her. You know, things that people wouldn't know. And no, I don't go posting on Instagram. Look at me, I just sat with her, aren't I good? Life is not about that. Life is about doing and giving our leftover to every single person that we meet. No matter who it is, no matter whether we're recognized or whether we're not. You know, there's become this sense of, of competition and trying to make it big. You know, where's Jesus in all that? I'm so challenged by people like Mother Teresa. She did not go to Calcutta to make a name for herself. You know, she went to Calcutta for the one. She went for the one. And I feel very challenged. You know, I think what we need to do is take away the world's definition of what success is and take away the world's definition of what's important and start remembering what Jesus' definition is. If I touch the one and I make the one feel the love of God today, then that's more important than if I went and posted something on YouTube that got like a thousand hits. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying that, that you can't be famous or, or do something where people see what you do, but I'm saying the majority of what we do, I believe, is the one-on-one. -on -one. It, it's the things that nobody else sees. 
you know, and would you be okay to get to the end of your life and nobody maybe saw all of the things that God called you to do? Would you be all right with that? And I know that's a challenge for me. The older I get and the more I assess, you know, your life as you get older, you start to think, well, have I done all the things that I wanted to do? And then we start to measure our life by what the world standard says is success. But I challenge us today to start measuring our life by what God says is success. You know, if I could line up all of the different people that you have touched, someone that you encouraged, someone that you put your arm around, someone that you made a cake for, someone that you helped change a tire, someone who's... Um, grass you mode or whatever if we could line up those people that's success that's success that's God's definition of success right there mother Teresa said this few mother Teresa quotes today never worry about numbers help one person at a time and always start with the person nearest you it's not rocket science is that if we start with the person nearest us you know, I've been in my school for about four or five years now, and for the first time the other day, for the first time, all of the other teachers know what I do, but I don't like, I don't sit there talking about the Bible with them. I'm just kind of like a normal person in school. And one of the other teachers, she said to me, she was sitting next to me at, at assembly, and she goes, I might come with you to church. I'm like, nothing like inviting yourself. <laughs> I go, sure, absolutely. She goes, where is it? And I, and I told her, and I go, and again, I didn't push. I wasn't then like chasing her down, going, you got to come with me to church. I'm like, you know what? God's working on her. I can tell. God's working on her. And it's not up to me. I'm off the hook here. It's up to God. <laughs> Sometimes we think we do it. And I'm like, you know what, God? If you've got something stirring in, your, in her heart, and she watches me on Facebook, and she watches me on Instagram, she sees all the things, different things we do, and she's, then she watches me at school. But God's doing something in her heart. So I'm just, I, open door. I go, sure, you let me know. You text me, and I'll meet you there. So I'm waiting. I'll let you know next time I come. Number four, take what you love and make it how you love. This is a key to a productive life. Take what you love and make it how you love. Okay, Dorcas could sew. Whoa, heavy gift. Huge gift on her life. She had a needle and she had a thread and she had some material. Like who would have thought? And sometimes we're like, God, what's my destiny? What is it that I'm called to do? What is it that's out there? And God's like, ah, uh, what have I just got right in front of you? Uh, I can teach. I'm, I'm not saying, or I'm, I'm not good at business, but I'm saying if I were you, maybe you're good at business. I can speak. I can bake. I can, wh whatever it is. Sometimes we think it's so complicated and it is so simple. It is so simple. Um, in fact, Dorcas's gift was so simple and it was so unromantic and so seemingly small. And yet it says at the end of that scripture that, that the story was told throughout the world. Isn't it like God to take something so simple and do something so amazing? Don't underestimate what you might think is a small gift on your life. I've got a member in my family who's like in their 70s now and to this day they still say, I don't know what I'm meant to do with my life. And I'm like, uh bit of trouble you're near the end <laughs> yeah I haven't worked it out yet that's a problem but I'm uh, you know that kind of is sad to me because I'm like you know what and I often say to this person what do you enjoy nothing I'm like okay that's not very helpful but you know what is it that you can do what is it that you can do it's so simple what's in your hand sometimes we wait for the big break 
you know, we had a, we had a girl at United We Stand, just uh, not this United We Stand, the one before, 14, 15-year-old girl, and she was learning sign language. And there was a couple of girls in her school, about four or five students who were all deaf. And she said to them, why don't you come to United We Stand and I'll sign for you. And so they came and she signed, but she wasn't very good at signing. So the lady that was teaching her, an older lady, just sat off to the side and helped her sign. And um, the lady that actually came had the flu, but she came anyway. She helped the girl sign. Do you know four out of those five students gave their life to Jesus that night? I think, wow, that girl just took what she had in her hand. She knew how to sign. And she, he's been going, sign. I don't know what any of that means. But she knew how to sign. And do you know what? She couldn't even do it very well. She didn't wait until she was really good. That's the other thing. Don't wait until you think you've polished your gift. Because you might be waiting for a while. Just use your gift anyway. Even if you feel like it's half polished. Unless it's cooking. That might be a problem. Because people might not want you to come and cook for them again. And my last point is this. Expect a a chain reaction of miracles when you're living your productive life. Expect a chain reaction of miracles. You know, God never forgets a labor of love. And Dorcas actually got sick and she, um, she passed away. But then the widows gathered and they got Peter to come and Peter prayed for her. And there was a couple of miracles that happened today. Dorcas got her miracle but the women got their miracle as well because she was alive to keep sewing their garments. And then the story was told throughout Joppa and many were saved. How many, I mean, there's many miracles. And then now, a couple of thousand of years later, we're still preaching from her story. Because when you're lo- living in your productive life, God will look after you. Let me just say that for there are those of you that think I'm in the middle of my need. You can be in the middle of your need And still be giving out whatever leftovers you've got. And God is still committed to doing miracles in your life. He's going to look after you. You know, my grandparents were in the war in Holland in World War II. And they weren't fighting in the war. Um, My grandfather uh, was Dutch. He was deaf. He wasn't fighting. But they used to hide Jewish people in their house. You know, they had such a great need themselves. The need to survive. The need for food the need just for their, their basic needs to be met. And yet in the middle of their need, they took in Jewish people and hid them under their floorboards and fed them. You know, that's a great example to me of somebody who's in the middle of a need yet still able to meet needs. And, you know, I really believe that in this church right here, and I really felt this before when I was, when I was sitting down, that the key, one of the keys to growth and one of the keys in the house here is that people will come in, have their, their, their broken hearts mended, be let out of prison, but then you guys as a group are going to go out into your community with your leftover, and that is what's going to come into this house. I really felt this house is going to be known for a house where the community flock, the community, the unsaved, the unchurch, people that you just would never think would come to church are going to come into this place. But guys, can I say, it's not up to Carolina and Sam to do this. It's you and you and you. It's all of us here from the front to the back doing our part. But I believe that this house is meant to be a light. And it's going to be a light because you're going to go out into your marketplace and you're going to be living your productive life. And as you do that, God's going to bring people in. He's going to bring them in. You know what? It might not be this explosive. But I believe there's going to be this slow, steady upward 
And there's going to be people that come here that have never been in church before, and they're going to end up becoming like your core team. They're going to be the core, the core people that this house is built on. And that's a huge responsibility, right, for, uh, for all of us. Not just to come and sit in the pew and, and be fed. That's a great thing. But I really want to challenge us, myself included too, that we go out this week with eyes wide open, not living at the full stop, but going, you know what, God, you've taken me out of prison to help lead others. Have your leftover in your hands, just like the little boy with the basket of bread and the fish. Have the leftovers ready to give. If we could have the band come up, that would be great. You know, I just wanted to, if we could just close our eyes just where we are, I just want to pray with you for a moment. Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, I just thank you right now for your word. Father, that you've called each and every one of us to live a productive life, not to live at the full stop. And I pray, Father, that you would forgive us for those times, Lord God, where we just get so focused on on what it is that we want to do and what it is that we need. And that this week we would be challenged afresh, Father, to go out with your eyes, with your ears, being your hands, being your feet. And to give the leftovers of the abundance of the goodness of what you've given us and to share that around. Father, I declare, Father, that this house is going to be a house that indeed is fishers of men. Lord, that draws all people unto you, Father God, because, Lord, these people sitting right here are the key. Holy Spirit, I just pray, Lord, there are gifts here right now that we need to dust off. There are people here with incredible gifts, Lord, and it's been so simple that they've overlooked it. There are musical instruments that need to be dusted off. There's pens that need to be taken out of cupboards and paper that needs to be taken and writing needs to start. There are businesses, Lord. There are people, Father, here that are being challenged to study. Doesn't matter how old you are. Lord, we just offer up our gifts to you. Just... Lastly, before I hop down, if we can just keep our eyes closed, I just wondered if there was anyone here, and you know what, you've never had that relationship with God, or maybe you did a while ago and you kind of have been living away from God. I wanted to quickly pray with you. If there was anyone here that you were like, you know what, I actually have never asked Jesus Christ into my life to be my Lord and Savior, and you feel, you feel lonely, you feel on your own. And you've come in here today, and you know it's not by accident. It's because God has seen you. And it's been by his divine plan and purpose and will that you've come into this place today, or maybe someone's invited you. If there's anyone that would say, yep, that's me, if you want to just quickly pop up your hand so I can pray for you. I'm not going to ask you to the front or anything like that. I'm just going to pray with you in your seat. And everyone's eyes are closed so no one can see, just between you and God, me, Just pop your hand up and I'll pray with you. Is there anyone like that this morning that you'd say, yep, that's me. Can you just pray for me? Or maybe you've been away from God. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Awesome. Thank you. Maybe you've known God and you've been away from him for a while. You haven't had relationship and you just want to renew and and recommit to God. If that's you, just slip your hand up if you'd like to join this beautiful. Thank you. Two ladies. Thank you. Bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else that would want to pop their hand up and just let me pray with you. 
Okay. Yes, another little one. Thank you, sweetheart. I see your little hand. Do you know, let's pray together for these people. Dear Heavenly Father, we just lift up each one of these beautiful people that have lifted their hands to you today. Father, you have got an incredible plan and purpose for their life. But more than anything, Father, you love them. You see them. God, they're not on their own. They're not walking this life by themselves, even though they may feel it at times. You have been with them the whole time and you have led them by your plan and your purpose to this point today. And Father, I pray right now, Lord God, that you would bless them. I pray, Lord, that you would lead them. I pray that from this moment on, Father, that they would know, Lord, that they are no longer alone, but you are walking beside them. Everyone pray this after me. Dear Jesus, please forgive me for living my life on my own. I invite you to come and be my Lord and Saviour and my best friend. Thank you for dying for me, that my sins might be forgiven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can open your eyes. Thank you to those people that raised your hand. You know, someone's going to, um, someone at the end is going to come and, and give you something. And there's also a desk called a Yes Desk that you can go to. But thank you so much for putting up your hand. God has got an amazing, incredible plan for each one of your lives. He loves you. Thank you so much for having me.